0: church, is it good to be here tonight? Let me try that again. Is it good to be here tonight? Amen. Amen. It's a delight to come and to gather and to consider these truths and to sing these songs, to hear from our Lord. My hope is that God will speak to us through His Word. I want to speak for just a little bit with you this evening from John chapter 1. We'll be considering the last two Sunday mornings, John chapter 1. One verses 14 through 18. Before we go to the word, why don't we ask for God's help. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for your scripture that reveals to us the truths which we have considered tonight. Even being able to hear from you um, as we have heard read for us the very words of God that detail for us how your son has come. And even now as we turn to John's gospel, we we pray that You would show us what all this means, not simply the facts of Christmas, but the meaning behind it, and that we might know You and Your plan, and that we might uh, leave this room more, more like our Savior. And so conform us to His image as You speak to us through Your Word, through Your Spirit, we pray in Christ's name, Amen. It was on April 14th, 1961 when the uh, Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first man ever to leave Earth's orbit. First man ever to enter outer space. It was an incredible event, a momentous event. The first person to leave this planet. And all the world was focused on him. He had the world's attention. And so he decided to give the world a message. he declared... I have been to the heavens, and I did not see God. That was the message he wanted for the world to receive. Now to be honest, I'm not quite surprised that he didn't see God. out. I don't think God's floating out there in outer space. In fact, the Bible tells us that no one has seen God. If you're in John chapter 1, you see in verse 18 that Simply, John explains, no one has ever seen God. We, no one sees God because God is spirit. So, he's unlike us. He's utterly different. And that's why we haven't seen him. The reason we haven't seen him is not that he doesn't exist, but he's he's invisible, Scripture tells us. The immortal, invisible, only God, Paul will write in First Timothy. But, of course, that raises this trouble that I think... Uh, Yuri Gargan was pointing at, if we can't see Him, how do we know for sure He exists? How, How can we understand what He's like? Well, John not only presents the problem that God is unseen, he offers us the solution all in this one verse, in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only begotten God, that's referring to Christ, who is at the Father's side or in the Father's bosom, literally he has made Him known. And so even as I, as I just prayed uh, a, a moment ago, we've been studying John 1 the last two, week, uh, last two Sundays, and John doesn't give us the facts of Christmas. You read John's account, and there's no angel choirs or, or donkeys bearing virgins. None of the details are found in John's Gospel, but what John tells us is the meaning of Christmas. And he begins his Gospel by explaining that Jesus is the eternal Word of God. And then he says He has come into this world as a light shining in darkness as we consider this morning to make us His children. Tonight, I I simply want to consider how Christ has made God known to us. How He's displayed His glory. That's exactly what He's done according to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John begins that verse by saying, the Word became flesh. Now, we saw in verse 1, the Word was in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. and Everything has been made through the Word. The, The Word is a reference to the second person of this triune God, whom we now call Jesus. And that Word became flesh. Now, of course, we we understand this. This is called the Incarnation. It's Latin, literally meaning in the flesh. But please just don't run by that truth this Christmas. This unimaginable, glorious truth that the Word became flesh, that God became man. I'm not sure a more startling sentence has ever been written. The theologian Wayne Grudem says of the Incarnation, It is by far the most amazing miracle in the entire Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing than even creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. He came and become one of us. This is what John the Baptist prophesied, as you see in verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. This is what John is saying. John saying that, that Jesus comes after me. That is, John is older than Jesus by about six months, we think. So John says, He comes after me, but He ranks before me because He was before me. He existed before me. John is saying that Jesus is the eternal Word of God. He is man and he is God. What, what's even more, well, not more astonishing, but what's astonishing to me that, is that, you know this, John is Jesus' cousin. Can you imagine one day, you have cousins, right? Can you imagine one day looking at your cousin and concluding that your cousin is the eternal God Himself. Right? I have cousins and I have never once forsook any of them for God. I, not, I, I may have thought they might be some, some other spiritual being if you get my drift, but, but, but not God. Right? John says this is Him. God has come fully God and fully man. Lo, in a manger lies He who built the starry sky came and lived among us. Well, why? Well, you see in verse 14, John tells us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt with us. Now when John says he dwelt, he's using a very interesting word there. He doesn't say he resided with us or lived among us. If you've, if you've been in church for any length of time, you have probably have heard this. That, that John, when he says he dwelt among us, literally says he's He's pitched His tent among us. Or uh, to use an older language, He's tabernacled among us. So why, does God, why, why is John using a very in, uh, interesting phrase? He's not saying He's with us, He's right, resided with us, living with us. He's tabernacled with us. I think there's probably a number of reasons that John's trying to communicate. I think at the very least what he's saying is that, is that Jesus is here only temporary. Right? If, if you're a member of Hamilton Baptist Church, you, you by now realize that I, I like sleeping in a tent more than most people. In fact, I would suggest I've slept in a tent probably than most everyone here. In fact, I have a number of tents. I have one-man tents and two-man tents. I have three-man tents and four-man tents. I have family tents. I have two-season tents and four-season tents. I have tents with vegetables and tents with attics. I have a tent that you can hang your coffee cup up from the ceiling so you don't spill it as you're trying to move around in your sleeping bag. I, I like sleeping in tents. I like backpacking. I like camping. I like getting outdoors. But you know what else I like? Indoor plumbing. That's good, right? A bed. also like a bed, right? Refrigeration. That's good. You see, no, no matter how much you like a tent... It's not your permanent dwelling; it's temporary. We, even, you know, Israel lived in tents for a while. Remember when, when they had no home, when they were wandering. But once they got home, they put the tents away. They what? They built houses. And so, when John says Christ is coming, tabernacle, he pitches tent among us. He's saying that he's here. Just, this is not his home. He's just here, temporary. I I think even beyond that, what though. The, the temporary nature of his existence here, his life here on earth, he's communicating that intimacy, isn't he? He pitched his tent among them. I think that conveys an interaction and a, and a closeness. If you build a palace, you put up walls, you put up gates and doors, there's formality there, there's distance. But if you pitch a tent in my backyard, chances are you're going to eat at my table. You're going to use my restroom. right? We're, we're, we're going to interact with one another. And I think this is what John's saying, that Christ has come and He wants wants us to know Him, not from a distance, not from within a palace, not from within a temple, but up close. Perhaps this is why the angel declared, even as read this evening, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call Him, His name, what, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so he's, he tabernacles among us to communicate this, this temporary nature here on this world and the intimacy that he had while he was here. But I think ultimately what John is trying to communicate is the glory that is seen in Jesus Christ. When you think about the tabernacle, you automatically think about the the old covenant where God says to the people of Israel there at Sinai, build me a tent, a tabernacle, that's where my dwelling will be. And when they completed it, we read at the end of the book of Exodus, the words of Scripture saying the cloud covered the tent and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Well, when John says Jesus tabernacled among us, he says He's done so for a purpose. Look there in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. He's come to show us His glory, and a glory far greater than what Israel saw. The glory they saw was a shadow. We see its fullness in Christ. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead seen. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He came, I said, I want to show you the glory of God. What does that look like then? Well, John tells us. If you read on in verse 14, it's all here. He says, we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he comes from the Father. He says, I want to show you. I want to show you what God's like. I want to reveal you to you the majesty of God. And, and that majesty is seen in that God is true and that God is gracious. And so when Christ walked upon this earth, in fact, in John 18, he declared, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. That's the language of Christmas, isn't it? I came into the world. Why, Jesus? To bear witness to the truth. So when he warns of judgment, That's truth. When he declares God's love, that's truth. When he described the new birth, he's giving us truth. When he told us to love our enemies, that's truth. When he explained that God rejoices in repentance, that's truth. When he announced that he is the resurrection and life, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, that's truth. When he confronts us, when he explains to you and me that you are a sinner. You are in rebellion to God. You do not keep God's standard. That's truth. He brings truth, but he brings more than truth. He brings grace. Amen. See, nothing just come and say you're a sinner and go home. He says you're a sinner, but I want you to know God loves you. I come bringing grace, and so he came and walked on this world, and he offered compassion to the poor and love for the lonely, shed tears for the mourning, gave His affection to prostitutes and His companionship to tax collectors and His mercy to a traitor dying on the cross. And I'm telling you, that's all grace. He esteemed children and elevated women and honored the enslaved and sought out the immigrant and accepted the outcast. And That's grace. He healed the sick and liberated the demonized and gave sight to the blind and strength to the lame and words to the mute and even raised the dead because he came to bring grace came to show us truth and grace but here's the question that comes up in my mind why does he have to become a man to do so i mean why does he, i mean he could have just come down on earth i mean he walked with adam he ate with abraham he appeared to daniel why does he have to put on flesh why does he have to take on human nature to reveal to us the truth of God and the grace of God? Well, the only answer is that, that the greatest display of both the truth of God and the grace of God is not seen in his life but in his death. Right? As he he, he put he became flesh. Understand, Christmas is not simply so that he would become alive. He's been alive forever. He became flesh so that he could die for you and for us. And it's in the cross of Christ that God is both true to himself and gracious to us. As Jesus died, God is being true to his standard, to his righteousness. He is punishing sin, he is paying sin debt, pouring out wrath on Jesus. He's not going to sweep it under a rug and forget that it's there. He's true to his nature. And yet at the same time as Jesus died, God is being gracious to us because Jesus is bearing our punishment. And so it's in the crucified Word made flesh that we see the greatest picture of God's grace and truth. And He came to show us that. He wants wants to make it known as we see in verse 14. But He wants to do more than show it to us, doesn't He? He wants us to receive it. That's what John explains in verse 16. This will be our last verse to consider this evening. It says, and from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You see, for Jesus, not enough to stock your head with information. He, he, he came that you might experience and receive and be changed forever by the grace of God. In fact, you notice in verse 16, the grace receives the emphasis. The truth has, has, has kind of faded away now. And John says, okay, I just want to drill down on grace. You know, I want you to receive this grace. I mean, he could treat us according to truth. We could receive truth in that way. He could come to us as a judge, as he will one day right? And and He, he would come and, and sentence us to, to His judgment, rightly so, but the Word became flesh to be gracious to us, to give us grace. Even John says grace upon grace. You ever stand at the seashore? I grew up on, on the beach out in California, and we would go out. Even when I was a teenager and started going to church, our youth group would go out at night and we build a big bonfire and we just stand there on the seashore and talk and just wave comes in you ever stand on the seashore and watch the waves come in you know things about waves is they don't they don't stop they just keep coming and just because one wave comes that doesn't mean there's one less wave out there right and and, and eventually we're just going to run out of waves it's wave upon wave That's what I think about when John writes here in verse 16 that we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's inexhaustible. Martin Luther once wrote some 500 years ago, just as the sun is not darkened by the whole world enjoying its light and could indeed light up ten worlds, just as a 100,000 lights might be lit from one light And not detract from it. Just as a learned man is able to make a thousand others learned. And the more he gives, the more he has. So is Christ our Lord. An infinite source of all grace. So that if the whole world would draw enough grace from it to make the world all angels, yet it would not lose a drop, the fountain always runs over full of grace. Full of grace. That's what John says, from His fullness. He just runs over with grace. Jesus Christ is a never-ending source of grace. He who is full of grace continues to give grace. And this Christmas, I think we would do well to rejoice and, and remember and delight and hope in the grace in which we have received from our Lord. That we would do well to remember these waves of grace that have come upon us in the past. That God has called you, Christian that God has put His Spirit in you. And that God has removed your guilt and cast away your sin and cleansed your conscience and remembers your transgressions no more. That you were once His enemy are now His friend. That you were once in bondage have now been set free. That you were once a lawmaker, have been declared innocent. That you were once an orphan have been made a child of God. That we would remember the grace that we have received from our Lord. And not just look in the past and see the grace in which we have received, but that we would rejoice in the grace in which is coming upon us even now. You know, God has promised to be with you. To never leave you or forsake you. He has said, I'm going to strengthen you. He has told you that no matter what befalls you, I'm going to work all things together for your good. He says, I'm going to guide your paths I'm, he says, I'm going to give you nothing you cannot handle. I'll give you no temptation in which you cannot withstand. I will put my hope in your heart. I'll put my peace in my, your heart. I will put my joy in your heart. I will invite you to become part of my people. I will give you my word and I will welcome you into my presence. That we can rejoice in the waves of grace that are falling upon us. Even this very moment. As we remember the waves of grace that hit us in the past and of course place our hope in the grace that will come one day christian you will be glorified one day your body will be raised from the dead you will see jesus like he is and you will be made like him when you see him and you will receive eternal life one day god will send away all pain and mourning all weeping and sin all trouble and trial all disease all death One day you as a child of God will inherit this world. And it will be a world of beauty and majesty and wonder. And we shall live upon it with the redeemed and the angels and the triune God himself. From his fullness we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Have you received it? you can receive no better Christmas gift than to receive the blood-bought grace of God that Christ His Son would for sinners such as I come to this world and be pinned to a cross 2,000 years ago bearing... My penalty upon Him. The wrath of God upon Him. And three days later, rising from the dead, historically, physically, visibly, and declaring to all that He is now risen as King of kings and Lord of lords. And He offers everyone who would believe in Him. Not those who would be good. Not those who would be righteous. Not those whose good deeds would outweigh their bad deeds. That's just the rubbish of this world. It's not true. Christ has offered us grace if you will receive Him through faith, as your Savior and Lord. My prayer is that you would do so even now. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful today for the Lord Jesus Christ. We who claim Christ as our own have received unending grace upon us and unimaginable cost to Jesus. Let us not forget this Christmas season. Let us not fail to rejoice this Christmas season. Let us not neglect to cast our hearts upon a hope of a sure future to come all because of grace. In fact, we celebrate grace, Father, as we consider the Lord's Supper before us. Help us to rejoice and to remember the work of our Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.